In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. The darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created outside of Him. The Word gave life to everything, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Good morning. I'm going to welcome you to uh, this worship service together. Boy, what a, what a great time of worship. I, was, I almost came up here and said, yeah, go ahead. I almost came up here and said, boy, this band is lit. And I realized, no, Jesus is the reason why. I mean, it was, wow, awesome time. Uh, I stand before you today with a, a memory of mine from last week's message in the, in the top of my head. Actually, it wasn't from the message, it was after the message. You see, we have changed the format of the, our service here uh, to accommodate the fact that most, most, many of our congregation are at home online, and we have some that are here. And so we changed how things work, and uh, how I close the message is part of that change. Uh, in the past, I have, uh, you know, I've been here to the very bitter end of a service, not bitter end, sweet ending but now I actually finish my message, I, I pray, the band begins a song, and then one of them dismisses you when the song is done. But last week I forgot that. So last week as the band began to sing, I stood here, probably with my foot on this right here like I do, and I was just kind of contemplating and, and worshiping, thinking. And in this moment of awkwardness, now Jordan V is the guy who's been kind of behind uh, masterminding how this works. You should see the order of service and all the notes that take place for the technical side of this thing. He's probably like, Jerome, you missed your cue. Get off the stage, buddy. I, he hasn't told me this, but I'm just imagining what he's doing sitting back there looking at him like, what is he doing? Get off the stage. If that wasn't bad enough, there was a certain moment where I just did this. And these people are worshiping next to me on either side. And I went like this. Because I had this giant thing of sweat on my forehead. And it sounded like that, I'm sure. And I know that Jordan's probably like sitting with his head on the table going, oh my word, that looks awesome online. Jerome just wiping his forehead. And the truth of the matter is, I sweat. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But, and you pass on to your kids what you do as well. So, sorry guys. But here's the thing. The reason I'm telling you the story is, is not to talk about sweat. The reason I'm talk, telling you the story is on Monday, I had an Amazon uh, package show up in my house. We were expecting a number of Amazon packages, like most of America, like every week, there's like, like two or three, right, that show up. And uh, this showed up. The problem is I didn't order this. I think perhaps one of you, I'm not saying you did. And at first I was like, well, what are the odds that this random package of handkerchiefs show up to my house the very next day after this big, wet, sweaty wipe? Um, and I was like, I mean, they show up the next day it had to be like one day shipping. Like, if you look at that picture, it says one day shipping. I love living in Indianapolis with our little uh, Amazon uh, distribution center. So thank you to whoever I owe thanks to. Um, I guess it could have been someone on our online audience. Thanks, mom. I don't know. Somebody ordered me handkerchiefs um, because I sweat. As a matter of fact, look, I'll tell you one more sweaty story. Um, when I was in high school, I went on a, a group date with um, another, a couple of other couples. We went mini-golfing, and about the eighth hole or ninth hole, like halfway through this 18-hole course of mini-golf, I am sweating and like soaked and um, looking pretty terrible, and they're all perfectly fine. And they're looking at me like there's some medical issue that I have going on, and it probably wasn't my most, it wasn't my most proud moment in my life. It was, uh, I guess, embarrassing, if you want to say that. And that's really where this message is, is going. You see, we all have things that we prefer not to accentuate in our life. We have things that 
we would say that, yeah, it's somewhat embarrassing or maybe it's absolutely humiliating. Either way, whatever it is, we like to minimize those things and maximize those things that give us praise or approval or uh, applause from people. Do we not? We do. We don't like to admit it maybe because we think we know better. It's okay. You can admit it. I think it's somewhat natural. It's okay. But left unchecked, it it can become a huge problem. Left unchecked, this natural thing, this reasonable concern can become something that we begin to orient our life around. We make decisions based on gaining praise and acceptance and approval from others. And left unchecked, it can play havoc in our life of faith. And that's where we're going today in our study through the book of John. John chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. We are on John chapter 7, and as you starting in verse 1, but as you turn there, let me give you a little background. If you're just joining us, if you've been with us since the beginning, you know this, that the Apostle John writes this at the late first century, towards the end of his life. The church has been in existence for a couple of decades already. He writes with the purpose of of people believing and in believing, having life. And we see in chapters 5 and 7 this shift in how the, the crowds and the people are viewing Jesus. See, earlier in the book, there was a reservation. There was a hesitation about who Jesus was. Now there is outright opposition, and we've seen that in chapter 5. We've seen that in chapter 6, and once again, we'll see that in chapter 7. You see, in chapter 5, if you remember, Jesus heals on the Sabbath. He's in Jerusalem. He heals on the Sabbath, and then the religious leaders want to kill him. And then he leaves that area. He goes way up north, and in chapter 6, which we spent four weeks on, I know, that's a lot, We see a lot of unbelief. We see a lot of resistance. He feeds 5,000 and they believe, but they don't really believe. They're they're really living in unbelief because they want the miracles, but they don't necessarily want Jesus. Which brings us to John chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Let me read it to you. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea, where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. You remember that? That came from chapter seven or chapter 5. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you could do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Jesus replied, Now is not the right time for me to go, but you can go any time. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. You go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. After saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. Verse 10. But after his brothers left for the festival, Jesus also went, though secretly, staying out of the public view. The Jewish leaders tried to find him at the festival and kept, and kept asking if anyone had seen him. There was a lot of grumbling about him among the crowd. Some argued that he was a good man, but others said, he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. But no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. Then midway through the festival, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. The people were were surprised when they heard him. How does he know so much when he hasn't been trained, they asked. So Jesus told them, my message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. Those who speak for themselves want want glory only for themselves. But a person who seeks to honor the one who sent them speaks the truth, not lies. Moses gave you the law, but none of you obey it. In fact, you are trying to kill me. The crowd replied, you're demon possessed. Who's trying to kill you? And Jesus responded, I, didn't, I did one miracle on the Sabbath, and you were amazed. But you work on the Sabbath, too, when you obey Moses' law of circumcision. Actually, this tradition of circumcision began with the patriarchs long before the law of Moses. For if the correct time for circumcising your son falls on the Sabbath, you go ahead and do it so as not to break the law of Moses. So why should you be angry with me for healing a man on the Sabbath? Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. So what we have here is Jesus' brothers who are encouraging him to go to this festival that's taking place in Jerusalem. The festival that is taking place is the, the festival of shelters, the NLT says, or, or also known as the festival of tabernacles, festival of booths. If you're Jewish, you would know it as Sukkot. Sukkot? I'm not Jewish. Yes, 
you would know it as that. As a matter of fact, I have a friend who my college roommate lived in Brooklyn, and uh, I visited during this time, and these are, he lived in the Williamsburg part of Brooklyn, right across Manhattan, right across the Williamsburg Bridge, and this is the view as you walk to his house. This is not a picture that I took when I was in college, but this is essentially what you would see is they would build booths to live in to remember and commemorate living 40 years in the wilderness. Um, this happens in Leviticus 23. God gives it to Moses to give to the people to remember that God brought them, out of, brought them through the wilderness so they'd make temporary shelters of which they would live in uh, as a remembrance, as a, as a commemoration. Now, this is like the Hasidic Jews in, in Brooklyn, right? But the next picture is you could go to Pinterest and you could find other, other options. Um, and you don't live in this for, for the whole festival. But as long as you have your meals in there on your back patio, that's nicer than what we have in our back, backyard. I just want to say um, that, it, that it actually qualifies for observing that holiday. So there's a number of ways. But this is, this is what takes place to remember what God had done during that time. The, um, their idea is this. If you can go to this festival, now, the Jewish historian Josephus says that of, all, of the three major festivals, this was the most popular. Like, there's Passover, which we know is pretty popular. There's Pentecost, also pretty popular. But this was the most popular in terms of pilgrims coming to Jerusalem to worship. If you can go, Jesus, at this time and do some miracles, you would have the greatest audience that you've ever seen. This is a great PR move. A PR move that takes place in the shadow of the temple the capital of life and worship of the Jewish people. That's a great idea. Here's the irony. His brothers want him to go show himself to the world in Jerusalem, but Jesus has no intention of showing himself to the world in the, in the way that they want. But he does go to Jerusalem and reveals himself to the world, not in his miracles, but in the humiliation of the cross, not in the fame and the popularity of being a miracle worker, but ultimately one day, the shame of the cross. Then in verse 5, we see John's commentary. Now, you read what, the, what his brothers had said. His brothers. His brothers that we know from Matthew chapter 13. James, Joseph, Simon, Judas. James, one day, becomes a leader in the church in Jerusalem. Writes the book of James. I mean, this guy is stout. But here, at this time, we see what John says about him, the commentary after their comment. What does John, John chapter 7, verse 5 say? This is John's commentary, what's taking place. The brothers did not believe. They wanted miracles. They wanted this PR opportunity. They wanted Jesus to show himself and become famous. And John's assessment is they didn't believe. Now, I know that sounds weird because, wait a minute, they do believe. They're saying, Jesus, go and show yourself. You're a miracle worker. You can do this. But John's commentary on them is that they don't believe. They're excited about miracles. They are great marketing minds, apparently. Now, we're going to come back and look at how they don't believe in a second. We're going to pick that apart in a moment. But let's keep moving through the story. Jesus' response to them is that you could go at any time. It's not right for him to go because he has an appointed time to go. For them, it doesn't really matter. As a matter of fact, there's a difference between him and them in that the world hates him but doesn't hate them. Why does it hate him? Because he reveals to the world that what they do is evil, and nobody likes to have their evil called out. As we keep going, we see eventually that Jesus says he's not going to go, and then in verse 10, he, he does go, but he goes in a way that's different from the way that they wanted him to go. He goes in the exact opposite way. Instead of like Prince Ali from Aladdin riding in on a buffalo or whatever he rode on, a, you know, with, we got the monkeys, we got the monkeys, you know what I'm talking about. That's what they wanted him to do, go make a big splash, but... but Jesus comes in secretly, does the exact opposite. The Jewish leaders are trying to find him. The crowd is split on their, on their opinion about who he is. Is he a good man? Is he a fraud? No matter what their opinion is, they don't want to even have the leaders hear that they're talking about him. They don't want the possibility that they're even heard discussing whether or not he's good or a fraud because there was so much opposition amongst the Jewish leaders towards Jesus, they don't even want to be caught talking about him. That gives you a picture of the animosity that was felt so he goes to, to this thing under different circumstances than his, brother had, his brothers had recommended. And then he goes to the temple and begins to teach in verse 14. Now the people are surprised by his teaching. We, it doesn't record what he was teaching, but whatever it was, the people are absolutely surprised. 
He was surprised that this guy who's not studied at the foot of a rabbi at some famous rabbinical center can preach with such a, teach with such authority and such knowledge of Scripture. And Jesus addresses the crowd, um, but he says that what he's, what he's saying is not his own. Now, this is actually kind of a common thing with the rabbinical tradition at that time. Many of the rabbis, many of the teachers who had gatherings would say, I'm not teaching my own stuff. I, I don't own this but this is passed down from tradition, from the, the rabbis ahead of me. Well, Jesus is saying something similar. This is not my own. But instead of being passed down from tradition, he's saying, I'm representing the one who sent me. I'm speaking on God's behalf. I'm speaking on the Father's behalf. And only those who want to do God's will can understand whether or not what I'm saying is true. Now, we see this opposition here that, that marks these these chapters, chapters 5, 6, and 7, this growing opposition in the unbelief of this crowd. Jesus' brothers have already been quoted, or not quoted, John has already said that Jesus' brothers did not believe, but now we see this crowd who does not believe. Jesus reminds them that they want to kill him. They say that he's possessed by a demon. He reminds them that when he healed somebody on the Sabbath, the last time he was in town, they wanted to kill him. The religious leaders wanted to kill him. He points out the inconsistency in their observance of the Sabbath because they are actually circumcising their kids on the Sabbath. But we see from the crowd an unbelief and not recognizing who he is. They, they didn't want his miracles on the Sabbath. They didn't want what he brought. They want, it's like the opposite picture of the brothers. The brothers want miracles, go get famous, and John says they didn't believe. The crowd, the religious leaders, don't do miracles. Unbelief opposition. So in this passage, we have two kinds of unbelief. The first kind is excited about miracles. The second kind wants miracles to stop. The first wants more miracles to more people and more exposure. The second wants they're angry about the miracles. They want this to put an end to this. Whether we have to kill them or not, we're going we're gonna to stop this. Now, the second kind is easy. The opposition to Jesus, it's easy to identify that as unbelief. But it's that first, remember from chapter 7 verse 5 that we looked at earlier that I said we're going to come back to. It's that first that's harder to recognize. I mean, let me be honest with you. If you read through the rest of the book of John, you don't see his brothers show up, right? If you read through the book, the rest of chapter 17, chapter 7, you don't see his brothers show up. Why did John decide to put this exchange between Jesus and his brothers in this account? He could have just said, it was the Feast of Tabernacles, and Jesus quietly went into Jerusalem, and then he began to teach. He could have started there, but he puts this whole exchange between his brothers in there and, and calls his brothers unbelievers. I think John wants to teach us something, teach us something about ourselves in particular, because although there's two different kinds of beliefs, they have the same root. There is a common root. On the surface, they look very different and opposed to each other and opposite of each other, but underneath the surface, they share a similar root. And it's a root that's so common that we are at risk and we are guilty at the same time. And according to John, showing unbelief when we center our life on that root. Let's talk about verse 5. Let's talk about those brothers who, did not, who wanted the miracles. Why did they want miracles? Why did they want fame for the brother? Why did they want Jesus to become famous and powerful? because they're right there with them. They wanted Jesus to reveal his miracles. They believed that he was a miracle worker, but they didn't necessarily believe in what those miracles said about who he is. Very similar to the crowd in chapter 6 who were fed, five, the 5,000 who were fed, who believed that he was a miracle worker, but failed to see what those miracles said about who he was. In verse 7, you see him say, and this makes sense if that's their attitude, because Jesus says, the world's going to hate you. Why does the world can't hate you, they hate me. Why would the world not hate them? Because they're just like the world. They seek their own glory, and so does the world. They want to use Jesus to get praise and acceptance and approval of man, and so does the world. The common root between the crowd that wants the miracles to end and his brothers who wants miracles to get a, a greater platform is pride. And pride is opposed to Jesus, his plan, 
Pride is opposed to faith in Jesus. You see, a life rooted in pride is opposed to a life rooted in faith. Remember John's purpose of writing this, this book? That you would believe, you know, these, this is being recorded. John chapter 20, verse 30, 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. See, believing is what brings life both now and into eternity. But when we live our life with the belief that approval and acceptance and praise is what gives life to us, we're living as unbelievers, forgetting the good news of the gospel, forgetting who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf. Now hear me, I'm, I'm not saying that you, you're going to lose your salvation. If that was the case, we would all be in trouble because we all live at times and make decisions at times without even real, really recognizing it because our heart is sneaky and deceptive. We make decisions and live with praise and approval of man kind of guiding our decision-making. Do we not? Or am I the only one? Oh, yeah. So I'm not saying you're losing your salvation, but I'm saying there's part of how you live your life that's driving you that is completely opposed to the life of faith in Jesus. You see, we will all default to how we entered into this world. Sinful, prideful. We will make decisions for our glory, even as Christians. Our hearts are sneaky and deceptive and we don't even realize we're doing it because we've lived so long operating that way. But those moments are not moments to beat ourselves up with guilt. Those moments are the moments to actually refocus and celebrate the grace of God. That's what Jesus died for. Those moments where we are selfish and prideful and we resemble our old selves. If you're a Christian, that's your old self, but yet we go back there sometimes. That's what Jesus died for. And as we refocus on God's grace, we find that it's actually easier to live for his glory. That's what Jesus said, that he's come for his own glory, unlike people who speak for their own glory. He's come for the glory of the Father. We find that it becomes easier for us to live for God's glory because grace absolutely transforms us. See, the root of the joy for his brothers was the praise of men, not the grace of God. But for believers, focused, perhaps even refocused on grace, our joy is in that grace of God. The life rooted in pride is opposed to the life rooted in faith. So here's how I want to close. I want to give you a couple of challenging points from this message. First of all, I want you to check your pride. I know that's kind of this big thing. I could get specific. Check your pride when you're in the office and you don't get that assignment that you think you deserve. Check your pride when you're hanging out with your group of friends and that other person who is your frenemy is getting the attention. Check your pride because Jesus goes to the festival in private, not publicly. His brothers want him to come in with big, huge celebration, be seen, be known. Jesus says, I'm not going to go the way you're going to go. I don't seek human approval like you seek human approval. See, the temptation for us to, to, to make decisions based on praise of man or approval or acceptance, it's a huge thing. It's a strong thing. And many of us know that to be true more than we'd like to admit. We make decisions without even realizing that's why we're making those decisions because it's so embedded. Second thing I would say is live with the goal of God's glory in mind. Remember, Jesus... Jesus goes public. Like he went in there secretly into Jerusalem, into this festival, but he goes in and makes himself known, not with miracles that would bring him praise, but with teaching that actually brings out the opposition. He goes in with teaching, not with miracles. He goes in and what he teaches is that he's totally committed to God's glory and not his own. It's not what his brothers want. They want him to be committed to his own glory because they are committed to his glory, to their own glory. Yeah, he's in the public. He's made himself known, but it's not for himself. As a matter of fact, what he's teaching is that when you seek your own glory, when you seek your own glory, you're, you can't even be trusted in what you say. But when you seek the glory of the one who sent you, you can be trusted. That's verse 18. 
Jesus models what it means to live for God's glory. And it's absolutely opposite of what his brother's processes and thoughts are. May we follow his lead and live with God's glory in mind. The next thing I would say is prioritize your relationships. Here's um, what Jesus says in John 15, which we'll get to later one day in 2022. <laughs> he says, abide in me. There's a relationship that takes place. When we live in a relationship with him, we see as he sees. When we live in a relationship with him, we do as he does. This is why we read our Bible and meditate and pray and not because we're earning brownie points with God, not because we're trying to appease him and make him happy with us. He is pleased with you because of what his son, Jesus Christ, has done on the cross. We do this so we can nurture our walk with him, that we can live with an intimacy and a closeness that allows us to live with God's glory in mind and not our own. And finally, keep grace focused. I mentioned when we refocus on grace, we find that living for God's glory is a whole lot easier, right? Because he, he does transform us. Grace is what transforms us. One, one preacher says that faith is a thankful joy in the God of grace. Or faith is a thankful joy in the God of grace. A humble gladness in the God of grace. It's not driven for human praise. It is thankfully joyful for a God who is with us when there's no reason for anyone to be on our side. Now, if you're not a Christian here today we, or if you're watching us online and you're not a believer, you don't consider yourself a Christian, you may have thought this whole message was about you, but it's really for all of us because we come in with grace and he sustains us with grace. But for you who are not a Christian today, what we've talked about in this message is the message of the gospel. Jesus Christ, the God-man, God taking on flesh, living amongst his creation, a life that we could not live and a death that our sins deserve. And he makes us right with God, that God takes the initiative, not us. It's a song that we sang, that's his righteousness. I mentioned abiding in him and this relationship that takes place. That's what God's calling us to. That's what he's calling you to. Your salvation is, is, is a gift. It's free and it costs you nothing, but following Jesus does cost you something. But let me just encourage you that you simply need to believe and let God transform. Cross that line of faith. Call on him. If you do that today, if you're in this place, uh, we have elders who are coming. And they'll, at the very end of service, they will pray with you. They will uh, they'll listen to you and want to help you get started on this new life of faith. And if you're online, you can email us or you can call us, whatever. But um, we ask you to, to let us know. I'm going to close in prayer, and we're going to sing a song. And the band's going to come as I pray. Father, we thank you for the great love you have for us, that you took the initiative to make us right with you. Nothing we can do can make us right with you other than to accept what you've done on our behalf, what you've done in our place, and what you've done for us. Father, I pray that um, you would help us take inventory as we looked at the cross, that we would look at our own life Help us to be transformed because of your grace and your love, that we would live lives that bring you glory. Help us to be brave enough to check our own pride. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to close this mess, this, this, ah, what is this called? It's called the service. We're going to close this in a, in a, in a worship song together, uh, kind of the benediction that we'll pray over one another, we'll sing over one another. But uh, I want to just say thank you to this church for your continued faithfulness as you give. Uh, there are connection cards. If you're sitting with us, 
that uh, ushers can collect at the back at the doors as you leave today. If, you have, uh, if you'd like to give with tithe and offering in person today, you can do that as well with our ushers. And if you're online and you want to give, uh, you can get a, a giving link at 317-676-2040. So um, that makes people laugh for some reason. 317-676-2040. I don't know why. Anyways, would you worship with us? And I'm getting off the stage because I'm not missing my cue this week. God bless you. Would you stand and worship with us? The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Let's sing that again. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Go be 
thank you for worshiping with us today. May you have an incredible week as the Lord shines his face upon you. We'll see you next week. Sacrifice of praise, a city on a hill, surrender to your will, your glory on display, your glory on display, awesome in this place, Jesus you are awesome in this place, worthy to be praised, Jesus you